Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on how women can and why women should get more involved when it comes to long-term financial planning, as well as some approaches to consider for how best to get involved and some key resources available to assist with navigating the financial planning journey. So let's take a moment to meet our participants on today's podcast. We are joined by Carrie Shuffman, head of the Women's Strategic Client Segment, as well as Nicole Herman, Relationship Manager with the Women's Strategic Client Segment with the UBS Client Strategy Office, and then joining us from our partners at T. Rowe Price, a glad to welcome Jean Dunn, a Vice President and Client Loyalty Insights Leader with the U.S. Intermediaries Division. Jean, Carrie, Nicole, great to be with you all. Thank you for joining us here on the UBS Conversations podcast channel for spending some time with our clients, our listeners, and a very much looking forward to diving into these topics and these findings with you all. Today, I know there's a lot of ground that we want to cover, but I thought for this first question, I would ask that you all weigh in. Curious to hear your thoughts in terms of how do women approach long-term financial decisions and investing differently than men, according to the research you found? Yeah, I I can go ahead and start, Dan, and and thanks so much for having me on. And again, this is Carrie Shuffman, um, head of our women's segment at UBS. Uh, It's great to be with with everyone listening today. And and a special thank you to Jean from T. Rowe Price for joining us as well. But from the UBS side, uh, we've had the opportunity to do extensive research over the last you know, few years, all within what we call own your worth, which is really focused on exactly the question that you posed, Dan, which is how do women on average tend to approach long-term financial decisions differently than their male counterparts? How do women across different generations, backgrounds, marital status, think about their financial lives, and then how does that actually translate to the actions that they take? And so um, through this opportunity of surveying and speaking with thousands of women and men um, here in the U.S. and around the world, what we've found is that when it comes to long-term financial decisions and investing decisions, uh, we've found consistently over the years that women, on average, are tend to be less involved in making those long-term financial decisions and investing decisions within their households, especially compared to their male counterparts. And again, this is on average um, that there are many, many women who are actively engaged and involved in making the long-term financial decisions that will impact them and their futures. But at the same time, our research has found that in particular among women in couples, so both same-sex and heterosexual couples, and especially in heterosexual couples, that about half of women defer these long-term financial decisions to their spouse or partner. That's that's what we found through our Own Your Worth research. And among women who are not married, single women of all generations, but particularly millennial women who are single, report putting many other aspects of their well-being ahead of their financial well-being and ahead of financial decision-making and cite feeling less confident about investing than their single male counterparts. Again, not not all of the time, but, but on average, that's what our research has found. Yeah, and this is Jean. Thanks, Carrie, and thanks, Dan, uh, for having me as well. And just to add to that, I think uh, one potential hypothesis as, as to why women are, are spending less uh, or less involved is actually their uh, their time, right? We know that women are busier than ever. Women are often responsible for a disproportionate amount of household duties. And, and it's interesting. There was an academic study done in 2018, and it, ta- it looked at financial decision-making roles in the household. And it found that there's a division of financial duties in every household when there's, uh, you know, 
two partners. And it makes sense. There's a division of all duties, right? Not both partners take out the trash. But one person is usually charged with the day-to-day management of the household finances. And oftentimes we find that women are, are in, in charge of the day-to-day management of all of the household, right? And the other partner uh, oftentimes is responsible for those long-term investment and planning decisions. And I think just by the fact that women are the default day-to-day managers of those uh, you know, financial day-to-day duties, I think being responsible for the additional, you know, duties of long-term planning and investments is just one more thing that, that many women don't have room for to add to their plate of already flowing duties. So that's just maybe one potential explanation uh, for what Carrie's found. Yeah, and, and Jean, I'd, I'd absolutely agree, and I know we'll get into sort of some of the reasons for why this dynamic exists later on in the discussion, but I, you're exactly right. I think time constraints a divide-and-conquer approach. You know, we can't all do everything. We're all so incredibly busy. Um, I, I think that's a big a big piece of it. And, and again, you're right. There is this sort of um, this concept of different financial responsibilities uh, taking shape and, and having different, you know, people who handle them. So I think short-term finances are often sort of separate from the long-term financial decisions, meeting with the financial advisor going through the financial planning process, making those investment and portfolio decisions, that's often separate from that day-to-day liquidity and cash flow management. Um, And even in our research, about 80% of women did say that they had and played a major role in those shorter-term financial decisions, managing the family's checkbook, bill-paying expenses, short-term large purchases. Um, And then it's when we look at the long-term financial decisions where we start to see that change and that shift and that that often in heterosexual couples falls on the male partner or even among women who are are single, it's something that they maybe are less focused on, on average. Okay, so now at this point, now that we have a better understanding for some of the key differences when it comes to the approach of long-term financial decision-making, I'll ask you, Jean, as a follow-up, how does language play a role in gender differences around investing? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Men and women often value different things and perceive things differently, right, based on gender. And I'll give you one simple word that we in the financial industry use all the time that is perceived differently based on your gender, and that's the word risk. So if you work in the financial industry, you think of risk as a technical term, right? But but if you're not in the financial industry and you're you happen to be a man and you hear the word risk, it actually has a positive connotation. You know, to men, risk is I'm going to go out and feed my family. Risk is necessary for survival. But to women who, you know, don't work in the financial services industry, when they hear the word risk, it's actually perceived as a negative term. To women uh, who don't work in the financial industry, when they hear the word risk, um, they think it's something that you do that's bad that may or may not result in a negative outcome. You know, risk is not wearing your seatbelt to women. Risk is not putting your children in a car seat. And so to me, there's this huge implication because, you know, one conversation all financial professionals have with their clients is what's your risk tolerance? And just the fact that people perceive it differently based on gender has a lot of implications for, um, you know, your financial plan. I, I was actually talking to a group of women And I I shared that story, that anecdote about the word risk. And one woman, uh, you know, chimed in. She said, oh, my gosh, Jean. She goes, I'm going to have to have a conversation with my financial professional. She goes, I still remember 
um, having that risk tolerance conversation with them. It's been a few years ago. And she said, in my mind, when he asked me what my risk tolerance was, I was thinking, what's my tolerance for jumping off a cliff, right? So really very different perceptions. But if we think about it, uh, we're really talking about trade-offs. You know, you could invest conservatively. Uh, it just means you're going to have to save a lot more and potentially retire a lot later. So I think even the language that we use with our clients, you know, everyone in the financial in- industry could benefit um, from for understanding the differences in gender perceptions of, of simple words that we use. The perception of wording and language in this context, it's very interesting. So thank you for highlighting that for us. So Carrie, I do want to tie in the Own Your Worth Building Bridges study here. I know in cases where men are responsible for the long-term finances and women defer, both partners have remarkably similar reasons for the roles they assume. So what are some of those reasons, Carrie? What do those consist of? Yeah, and, and Dan, the new report, the new On Your Horse report we just came out with uh, recently, uh, Building Bridges, Breaking Barriers, explores exactly that. What is the relationship in particular between women, men, and money? And are men bridges or barriers to women's financial participation since we know that this is not just a women's issue um, in any way, shape, or form. This is an issue for everyone as we think about encouraging more women to take their seat at the financial table, uh, helping women unlock the life and legacy that they, they dream of. And so, you know, when we asked uh, in couples where women said that they let their husbands take the lead on these decisions or men said, you know, I take the lead. When we asked, well, why does this dynamic exist? The reasons cited were pretty similar across the board, and a big one came down to what Jean mentioned in her earlier remarks, which is time constraints. Uh, people just saying that they take a divide-and-conquer approach, women saying, you know, I can't add anything else to my plate, um, and men saying this is just something that I've, you know, I started handling, and now it's just natural that I continue taking the lead on those decisions. So one piece is the time constraints. Um, another is, and this one's really interesting, and I think it, it comes down to a lot of what, what Jean was talking about, language and perception around the financial services industry, what it means to be financially engaged and involved. But really surprisingly, both women and men cited that they thought men knew more about this issue on average in cases where men took the lead and their uh, female spouse or partner uh, deferred those decisions to their male partner. So uh, which is interesting because we know that this is not the case, right? This is not a competence issue whatsoever between the genders. Um, financial literacy scores actually between men and women are relatively equal in many, many um, industry studies that have been done. So this is not a competence issue, but it, I think a lot of it does come down to confidence. Um, and so that's why so many women said, you know, I think my husband knows more about this topic than I do. And that's why many men said, you know, I think I know more about this topic and that's why I take the lead. So that was another reason. Um, and then the, the third piece was, again, sort of this, this, these other responsibilities. Both women and men cited that women had other responsibilities, whether household responsibilities, childcare or caregiving responsibilities. Um, and then the, the third was both women and men cited women's lack of interest in uh, long-term financial decision-making, um, as well as both partners also cited kind of wanting to keep the peace, if you will, not wanting to rock the boat or cause arguments not about money. But it's, it's actually really interesting because when we spoke with couples who actually do share in making those long-term financial decisions together, we spoke, you know, we spoke about that in our most recent report as well as um, exploring this two years ago in our global report 
couples who do share equally in making those long-term financial and investing decisions actually report feeling more confident about achieving their goals, more satisfied with their financial situation, and they report feeling less stressed, having less anxiety about money. So, you know, people are worried about rocking the boat by having those financial conversations, but the reality is that by having those conversations, by sharing equally in the decision, uh, that actually often leads to, to better results and, and to less, less stress about those financial topics. Well, Carrie, thank you for breaking down those reasons for us and providing some highlights and takeaways from the report. Now, Jean, I know you have done a lot of qualitative research consisting of in-depth interviews with women investors. So, Jean, what do you think, as Carrie said, that almost three-quarters of women who defer financial decisions in their partner have no interest in making those decisions? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. And just to build on, on what Carrie said, I think there's a couple of different reasons. And, and one is just to acknowledge the, the dramatic change that women have actually experienced just in the last few decades with regards to participation in the workforce and earning a paycheck. You know, if you think about it, in the 1950s, only about a third of women worked outside the home. You contrast that today where 40% of households, you know, the woman is is the primary breadwinner. It's important to recognize those have just been a few decades. So I think, you know, women um, participating in finance, you know, is is a relatively recent thing uh, with regards to their own autonomous paycheck. And the second thing I think is really interesting is just to look around and think about gender norms with regards to money. Oftentimes with women, you know, it's deemed impolite to talk about money, right? And when we look at the media in America, especially films, which are oftentimes, you know, key influencers of public opinion, when we look at the topic of finance, it's not necessarily portrayed in a positive light, right? You think about all the movies about our, about the financial industry. I feel like the message is finance is this male-dominated industry. The mantra is greed is good, and it's certainly not the case. But I think it has impacted women who oftentimes view financial matters as important, right, but more as a necessary obligation, almost like it's a necessary evil, when, in fact, it's exactly an opposite case. Just as Carrie said, you know, the more women can be involved in finances and have regular communication, she's exactly right. The less stress, uh, the more at ease people feel around finances and also, you know, the more ability they have to become financially independent and achieve their financial goals, right? Yeah, and, and I, I would agree with that too, um, Jean. I think I think you're exactly right. Gender roles do run incredibly deep even now in 2021. Um, there's the historical context. I mean, you can even look to you know the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974. That was only 47 years ago, in which women no longer needed a male cosigner in all cases to apply for credit. So there's this historical context that was in many women's lifetime um, that sort of trickles down among generations. And, and then we also even still hear it today, right? So many men said that they um, want to provide a sense of financial security to their female spouse or partner in the context of heterosexual couples. And many women in turn said, you know, truth be told, I want to be taken care of. So these traditional gender roles really do still run deep, especially when you look at the context in which 
women were not able to gain equal financial footing to their male counterparts until, you know, relatively recently in, in this country's history. So I do want to run with that a bit. And Nicole, I do want to bring you into the conversation. So despite the lack of involvement and these entrenched roles and dynamics that Jean and Carrie have shared with us, from your understanding, Nicole, are people open to change? Sure, and, and thanks, Dan. The good news is that it does seem that both men and women are very much open to changing this dynamic. 88% of men who take the lead on these long-term financial decisions said they wish their wife was more involved, and over half of women who defer these decisions said they wish they were more involved, too. So how can we do that? Both men and women cited that men encouraging women's participation more actively could help as well as including her in the meetings with their financial advisor more, going through the financial planning process together, and making sure that women really understand what investments the couple has and why as ways to achieve more equal uh, involvement. And other good news is that the benefits of sharing these decisions more equally are, are also very clear. Um, in our last report, couples who share in these decisions equally say that this increases their confidence in achieving their financial goals in the future, that it helps them minimize mistakes and also reduces anxiety and stress about money in the relationship. And it's, of course, not just on men to encourage women to be more involved. Women can really start by stating their intention to participate in these decisions and honestly just pull up their own chair to the money table today. Now, in terms of what the financial industry can do to help, I know firms like UBS, like T. Rowe Price, are leaders when it comes to this initiative, but what can the industry as a whole do to help women have more interest and become more involved? So I think one word, the word learn, is a good starting place, and I, and I use it in two different ways. One is learning more about women, and that's one of the reasons why I love you know, Carrie and Nicole, the research you've done with Own Your Worth, because you're, you're sharing with the industry and with women investors more about, you know, the unique financial needs and attitudes of women. So I think that's critically important. It's our industry needs to learn more about women and adapt so that we can better serve to them. And the second way I use the word learn is to help women investors, you know, find uh, opportunities for them to learn more about investing in a way that works for them. So Carrie earlier talked about, you know, this, the, you know, helping women become more confident. And I, I think financial literacy, the opportunity for women to learn more about it, investing in a way that works for them is going to help them uh, be able to more effectively and confidently participate. Yeah, I would agree with everything that Jean just said. I think, you know, the other thing I would say is let's try to continue to, you know, reduce this misperception that you have to be an expert to be meaningfully involved in financial decisions, because I think that that misperception exists really among anyone, men and women, who, who maybe don't work in the financial services industry. And, you know, there may be this perception that you need to follow the markets closely or know how to calculate a bond yield or, you know, that, it, that having financial, long-term financial dis discussions comes down to, you know, the portfolio itself. But it's, it's really so much more than that, right? I mean, your long-term financial decisions are what impact you and your loved ones, the causes that you care about your ability to, you know, leave a legacy in this world, to buy that dream home you've always wanted, to pay for, you know, healthcare costs or loved ones, you know, children or grandchildren's college tuition, whatever it may be. I mean, those are really important discussions to be a part of, right? And I think if we can move away from this misperception that you have to be an expert 
be meaningfully involved. I think that's something that we as a, you know, the financial services world can do to encourage more people to take their seat at the financial table and to know really what that entails, right? Because it's, it's a question of asking yourself, you know, those questions like, you know, who are the people that matter most? Uh, what do I want to accomplish in my life? What am I most concerned about? What keeps me up at night? And the reality is that no one knows their life better than that. No one knows your life better than you do. No individual knows your life better than you do. And so if we can frame it as a series of questions and a series of, you know, how are you going to achieve your life's vision, um, that I think is a great way to bring more people to the table for a really compelling discussion about what that entails, you know, now in the short term, in the longer term, and well into the future and beyond. So that covers what the financial industry can do. And again, I know UBS, T. Rowe Price have a vast array of resources available for our clients whom listening in can, of course, contact their financial advisor if they would like to learn more about what those suite of resources consist of. Though, if we flip the coin and ask the question, what can women do, those who want to get involved but may not exactly know where to start, Carrie Nicole, what might be some good first steps I would say talking about money is one of those first steps. Jean mentioned before, you know, money is still a taboo topic for many people, but the reality is that having those tough money conversations, whether with a partner or loved one, uh, with a financial professional, with your peers, you know, that can really, I think, open tremendous doors because for, for women or men who may not be involved, you know, you can learn so much from speaking with people that you trust. Um, it can allow partners to have some of those money conversations to make sure that both partners within a couple are on the same page, that they're aware of, you know, how they're invested and why, what their goals are for the long term. Um, and for women who are involved, it's a terrific way to, to lift others up, to share what you know. So I think talking about money and, and having those conversations, even if it's tough, even if it means, you know, spending a Friday evening with your partner having a financial conversation rather than, you know, watching a movie or whatever it is, it's so important and a great place to start, um, as well as talking to a financial professional, having him or her fill in some of those gaps, answer any questions that you have. Um, going through the financial planning process is a really terrific way to get started as well. Um, and then, of course, our UBS Wealthway framework is a terrific opportunity for people to think differently about their financial life and, and to get started. So we call uh, the UBS Wealthway framework, we look at it through the lens of three specific strategies, liquidity, longevity, and legacy, so people to remember. Liquidity meaning, you know, what are those shorter-term um, needs to, to maintain your current lifestyle for the next, let's say, you know, zero to three years, um, all of your needs, you know, any wants in the in the immediate, your cash flow, uh, which is, as Jean mentioned, where we do see women tend to be more heavily involved. Uh, longevity, so needs, let's say, three to five years out and beyond through the course of your lifetime, so financial planning and retirement planning, planning for unforeseen, you know, medical or healthcare costs planning to buy that dream home in retirement, and then legacy. So really the needs that go beyond your own to the people that you care about, the causes that you care about, um, sort of the footprint that you leave in the world, even before you know, you're no longer here, right? Your legacy begins at any point, no matter where you are in, in your life journey. So that's what we call Wealthway, that liquidity, longevity, and legacy, those strategies to think about your financial life a little bit differently. And then in terms of specific tactics, I'll, I'll turn it over to Nicole to share more because we have a lot of really great resources for anyone who's listening who'd like to, to take that first or next step or, or interact with any of our, our content on this topic. Sure. Thank you, Carrie. Um, so 
First, I'd definitely like to highlight our Own Your Worth financial participation website available at UBS.com forward slash my money move. It's a great starting point for anyone, for any woman to um, get more involved, whether it's learning your money language, learning more about the top 10 topics that we've identified, um, or even just kind of perusing our frequently avoided questions. It's really a great tool to use. Um, and the second uh, resource that I'd like to highlight is our external website available at UBS.com forward slash women. And we have a number of resources available from our team um, and with our other UBS partners that are highlighted here. We have a number of virtual events that have taken place over the last year or so um, with notable names like Billie Jean King, Lisa Leslie, Laura Dern, Michelle Williams, Paulina Poroskova, and more. Um, and, and a lot of important messages around this own your worth topic that um, familiar faces have shared with us. Um, all of our intellectual capital from the own your worth reports are also available on that website. And I would definitely encourage anyone listening today to check that out. And again, it's available at ubs.com forward slash women. Nicole, Carrie, Jean, thank you very much for spending some time with our clients, our listeners, and sharing with us these valuable and actionable insights. This conversation is one that will indeed continue. So hopefully we can pick back up at some point, though. Thank you again for joining us today on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks so much for having us, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Dan. Again, today we've been joined by Carrie Shuffman, head of the Women's Strategic Client Segment, as well as Nicole Herman, Relationship Manager with the Women's Strategic Client Segment with the UBS Client Strategy Office, as well as from our partners at T. Rowe Price, Jean Dunn, a Vice President and Client Loyalty Insights Leader with the U.S. Intermediaries Division. Now, for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you have any questions based on what you heard during during today's podcast, you can also visit UBS.com forward slash my money move for more information and resources, including the latest own your worth research. The UBS Conversations podcast channel is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Wealthway is an approach incorporating liquidity, longevity, legacy strategies that UBS Financial Services, Inc. and our financial advisors can use to assist clients in exploring and pursuing their wealth management needs and goals over different time frames. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. All investments involve the risk of loss, including the risk of loss of the entire investment. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.